Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your law endure, your laws endure to this day, for all, all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I've sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting, uh, waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder on your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate it all day long. Your commands will make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your law, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. That's it. And one John, a John one. One to five. In the beginning there was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him... All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For the non-parents here today, I want you to know about something that's very precious to parents in this room. I want you to know about Louis. Uh, Bluey, grandparents maybe might treasure Bluey as well. Bluey is a famously relatable TV show for parents, especially parents here in Bluey's hometown of Brisbane. And it's relatable because of its little details about day-to-day life in the trenches of parenting. Our growth group meets at Gemma's house uh, where the ceiling is dotted with sticky geckos, just in like the episode Sticky Geckos. And who doesn't love a plate of poppages at the West End or Rockley Markets? But the episode, Flat Pack. Now, I'm not wise in the working with your hands category we've been talking about the last few weeks, the trading who wisely uses God's world. Uh, but Flat Pack furniture, I'm particularly not good at. Uh, it's meant to be foolproof, but I'm not good at it because I think I'm better than I am. And it takes me a while to get out the instructions. Usually it takes me till I've made the whole thing and it hasn't worked. And then I'll put out the instructions, which is exactly what happens in Bluey, so I'm not alone. See, when I say I'm bad at flat pack furniture, the dining table that Robin and I bought when we first got married, I put the legs on back to the front, which you would think sounds impossible with a table, and with the chair that went with the table, one of them I put together so badly and we couldn't get it apart, but the manual arts teacher at the school Robin taught at had to fix it for me. We're talking not very good at all. But I need to read the instructions. And so the question for us all this morning is, when it comes to life, do we read the instructions? Because the instruction manual matters. It matters for how we put together life in God's world. We've been looking at this 
pyramid of wisdom and the idea that we build our wisdom on this foundation of God being God, of God being the one who designed life, who designed the world, who knows what right relationship with him and with the world looks like, and who doesn't just leave us to figure this out. He gives us his word. He gives us instructions. And we've seen that wisdom's not just about book smarts, it's about being street smart as well. Uh, but life, the wise life in the world, requires consulting the instructions. It requires hearing from the creator about what life is to look like. Real wisdom for life is walked out in conversation with God as we seek to follow his design for life. And this is a big theme through the whole Bible, that wisdom is about listening to and obeying God's words. There's a big debate in kind of biblical scholarship about where the books that have been called for a couple of hundred years now, the wisdom literature, where they fit with the rest of the Bible because it doesn't seem connected to the Bible's big story. It doesn't have law or sacrifices or Jewish religious practices. It doesn't have history kind of embedded in it. So it doesn't connect to the story of Jesus the way other parts of the Bible do and scholars try to figure out what to do with it. Sometimes people have talked about there being two poles in the story of the Bible. One that celebrates God as Redeemer, and that's the kind of big story, the redemption story through the Bible, and one that talks about God as Creator, the Creator and Sustainer of the world. And that's where the wisdom literature gets placed. It's, it's about life with God as creator, even if the idea of the fear of the Lord is scattered throughout the book. It's, it's really about the good life in God's world. But I actually think the wisdom literature is tightly embedded in the life and story of Israel, both through Solomon, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, and because it, can, it connects the wise life to life with God, life in relationship with God, and life listening to his words. And so we saw last week that the instructions from a father to a son fit with God's instructions to his son, Israel, God's instructions to his people, and we're going to see more of that today. So often in our particular Christian tradition, the Protestant tradition, uh, the Reformed tradition, the Evangelical tradition, which is where both the Church of Christ and the Presbyterians fit within the stream of church history, we get much more excited about redemption than creation. We talk a lot about the gospel, which is great, and about salvation. And sometimes we think of it as being kind of pulled out of this broken world into a future in the clouds. Uh, and so the wisdom literature helps us get into what creation's about. It helps us think about the life we were created for. But sometimes in our tradition, we can be wary about being told how to live. Uh, being told how to live from the Bible can sound like legalism, which is exactly what the gospel frees us from when, in fact, the wisdom literature and other parts of the Bible, including in the New Testament, are instructions for wise life, instructions for life the way God created us to live and the way God recreates us to live by his spirit through the gospel. And so we, as God's people, are meant to understand creation and redemption together, not as competing poles, but as two parts of the one story. Without the creation stream to our thinking, we end up with a gospel that tells us nothing about the sort of life God created us to live in his world as his representatives, his witnesses in the world, the testimonies to his kingdom and to life under the king. 
And so sometimes the differences between creation and redemption and, say, the wisdom literature and the rest of the Old Testament are overstated because they're integrated and coherent. And so Proverbs, which we saw last week, the kind of words like, take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands, and you will live. Well, this sounds a lot like Deuteronomy, where Israel is told to hear God's words, his commands, and to follow them so that they might live. And when they do this, when they follow God's words, his laws, his commands, they will show wisdom to the world, particularly wisdom to the nations around them who aren't living with God as God. And, and these nations will say, this nation is wise and understanding, which as we've been looking through Solomon's story over the last couple of weeks, is exactly what happens when God's people live wisely in the land that he gives them. The nations flock to Israel because of their wisdom, and that comes because of their obedience. For Israel, hearing and obeying were to go together in their life to produce fruitful life in the land, life where they would increase greatly, that kind of be fruitful and multiply idea from the book of Genesis. They would do that in the land as they listened to God and as they obeyed him, as they lived as his image-bearing people. And the way they were to do this, they were to consult the instruction then. God's word was to be a fixture in their houses. They were to put it on their door frames, but even more, it was to be fixed in their hearts and their minds. It was to be on their bodies, shaping their bodies. Their whole lives were meant to be expressions of life in relationship with God by listening to his word and treasuring it. And more than that, in Deuteronomy, the king, when Israel gets a king, was meant to guide and rule the people in consultation with God's word. He was meant to keep God's word close. He was meant to write out his own copy of God's law and keep it with him always so that he led God's people from the top in wisdom according to God's word, according to God's law. See, God's word was meant to shape the life of his people from the top down, from the wise king and from the bottom up as they live pursuing wisdom in the world using the world the right way because they are in right relationship with God and with each other. That's wisdom in the Old Testament. Uh, there's meant to be for God's people a very physical relationship between God's law and domain. God's work was to be present in their lives, physically even, to remind them of God's presence with them, that they were his people. They were meant to be people who listened to God's word, so were kept on the right path, the path to wisdom, as they walked in relationship with God. It was meant to steer them away from folly, so Proverbs and Deuteronomy line up really closely. The wise child, the wise son in Proverbs, should keep their father's command. That's what Israel was meant to do with God's law. They were meant to bind these commands on their heart, fasten them around their neck, and be guided by them. See, what Proverbs says about this wise teaching from the parents is what Deuteronomy says about God's wise teaching for Israel. And we're told in the Proverbs, these commands are a lamp, the teaching is a light, they're instructions for life. And so while this is partly about listening to your parents, especially if they're teaching you the way you should go, especially if they're teaching you in community with God and with his people, it's mostly about Israel listening to their father and God, living life, walking and shaped by his commands. God's word was meant to be the light to their palm. And so that language is picked up in Psalm 119 that John just read for us. There's this thread that links 
the Psalms to Deuteronomy and to Proverbs. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw our Proverbs 8 talks about wisdom as God's eternal order at the heart of creation and the truth to be sought out by faithful and wise people. The Psalm 119 says God's word, his law, is this eternal thing that stands firm at the heart of the universe. And God's word is the thing we're meant to dig into as we pursue wisdom. Just like Deuteronomy, just like Proverbs, as we dwell with God's commands, as they're always with us, they make us wiser than those people around us, wiser than Israel than their enemies, the nations. They have more insight even than their teachers because they listen to God and meditate on his word, more understanding than the elders because they listen to God's word. See, wisdom in the world comes from listening to its creator. It's having God's word always with us, Deuteronomy style, meditating on them, obeying them. That's where wisdom comes from. The psalm says God's word lights our path like a lamp. Proverbs says that it's wise teaching being passed on. The psalm says the wicked want to snare us and force away from God's word. God's word keeps us from straying. Proverbs is the teaching of the wise. Psalm says the law is more precious than silver and gold. Proverbs says instruction, knowledge and wisdom are precious and more precious than rubies and silver and gold. And these parallels aren't because these are competing traditions between God as creator and God as the redeemer who works for the law. It's that they're arguing that they're the same thing. Wisdom and God's word, wisdom and God's law, very man in hand. The Proverbs belong in connection with God's word to his people about wise life in the world. Wise life lived in conversation with the maker. Wise life lived following God's instructions. To love God and to pursue wisdom is the heart of what we were created for. To live without God's word and pursue wisdom is like building a flat pack furniture without the instructions. It's folly. In all of this, God's king was meant to be wisely ruling God's people in consultation with God's word, leading them to flourishing, fruitful life in right relationship with God uh, so that God's people were God's presence in the world as his word was present with them. And Solomon, as we've dipped into his story in the last few weeks, he clearly didn't do this. It's pretty clear from his life that he ignored Deuteronomy. We don't know if he wrote down a copy of God's word and kept it with him, but he certainly didn't pay attention to it. Because in that same section of Deuteronomy that says what the king's meant to do with God's law, it also says the king shouldn't get a bunch of horses from Egypt or marry many wives or accumulate large amounts of silver and gold, which is exactly what Solomon does. Solomon does not live life as a wise king listening to God's word. And so he gets pulled from the path, snared, ignoring God's instructions, and it takes him into destruction. Now, at this point, you might be sitting here thinking, this is all pretty basic. You come to church today, lots of you have been coming to church longer than I've been alive, and here I am telling you that we have to listen to God's word. And you're thinking, of course. But it was meant to be basic to the wisest guy in the whole Old Testament. It was meant to be basic for him to have God's word with him all the time, to look for wisdom in God's word, not in other places, to, to not listen to the other voices who wanted to pull him away from faithful life with God, and he stuffed up. The wisest man in the story of the Old Testament because he listened to these other voices. 
He thought he could go it alone. He thought he could start all these building projects without the instruction manual. And so I know this is basic, but I don't think I'm alone in trying to build flat pack furniture without the instructions. And I don't think that because there's a Bluey episode that says how normal it is. So I also don't think I'm alone in thinking I can live my life without the instruction manual sometimes too. And I can just take for granted the work I put in in the past and, and maybe leave it on the shelf or in my pocket because we all have phones, the Bible's on our phones. I don't think I'm alone in being bombarded by other voices that tell me what the good life looks like, what wisdom looks like, that paints a picture, a compelling picture of how my life could be better if I just built this new thing or bought this new furniture or lived this new way. That is life in the modern world. We don't need instruction manuals anymore because there's YouTube to turn to to learn how to do anything. But the problem is that the law, the Psalms and the Proverbs, the whole Old Testament, they're universal in the message that life without God's instructions leads to destruction. And that there are other voices out there trying to pull us to destruction. So that this is basic. How present is God's word in your life? How present is it physically in your home, beside your bed, in your daily rhythms of life? Uh, but more than that, how present is it in your heart, in your imagination, shaping the way you think about the world, shaping your steps so that you walk wisely? Because the world out there is telling you that wisdom starts with collecting data from the world and being the king of your own life and making good decisions. And who's got time for the Bible? We've got all those other messages to listen to. We've got more data available to us because of technology than ever More information. We live in this information overload. And if you're seeing, you're thinking there's no risk for me, I'm so thoroughly grounded in God's word. It's part of my habits, part of my rhythms. It's in my heart. Well, I want to say to you that is fantastic. Keep doing it, but don't do it alone. There's a world full of people who need to be encouraged to do the same. We need you to model it, but to invite them to join you in it. There's a world of people, both within our church community and outside, who you could be reading the Bible one-to-one with. Keep at it. You can be the wise teacher who digs into God's Word with someone else and shows what it's like. You can be the one who, when the kids come up to you with a memory verse, talk to them about what that verse means and how they might live. You can be someone who models what it looks like to live a life treasuring God's word, his instructions, because they are precious to you. See, Solomon doesn't do this. And so Israel doesn't do this. He's meant to lead and he does lead and the people follow. And so in the story of the Bible, God's word, God's people are left looking for a wise king who creates a wise kingdom of wise people who read the way of wisdom God's word and will follow it, will align their lives with his design for life. By the end of the Old Testament, the world needs a king who knows God's word and is going to speak God's word and guide us towards God. A king who models what it means to be the image of God. And in Jesus, we meet this king. And amongst other things, this is the way the gospels, the stories about Jesus, present him as the one who doesn't just listen to God and live guided by his word, but who speaks the word of God and points us to wisdom as the wise teacher. 
His relationship with God's word is more complex than that. He, he comes to fulfill God's word. And so to rightly understand even the Old Testament as we pick up and read it in our lives means seeing it fulfilled in him. But he also comes, as we saw in that bit from John's Gospel, as the living word of God to reveal God and God's ways to us. But in Luke's Gospel, we get these stories about Jesus that show how shaped by God's word he is. But he's a different sort of king. Uh, when his parents find him as a boy hanging out in God's house, the temple, this young fellow listening to God's word, he's already amazing people, these teachers, because of how well he understands it. But he's listening to God's words. When he is growing up, we don't get much about his growing up in any of the Gospels, but Luke kind of drops in that Jesus was growing in wisdom. <laughs> as he worked towards adulthood, as he learned from his parents, as he followed their wise instructions, as he took up a trade and worked with the world, but also listened to his father and his mother and his heavenly father and grew in wisdom and stature. And then as an adult at the beginning of his ministry, when he is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, tempted by that voice that says there's another way, you could have power and wealth, you could be in control, just do it your way, not your father's way. The way Jesus responds to Satan in his temptation is to quote over and over and over again the book of Deuteronomy. The law that the king was meant to write down, the law that was meant to shape the way the king ruled and didn't with Solomon. When Jesus is tempted, he shows us that God's word is written in his heart and that it comes quickly to his mouth in those situations, but also that it shapes his steps. And then as an adult, he's in his hometown in Nazareth in the synagogue. We're told this is his custom. And so he stands up to read the scriptures. And he reads from the book of Isaiah, only he does more than just read it and say live by it. As he reads these words about God's kingdom coming, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled. See, so Jesus isn't just the model reader of scripture, the model king. He's the king who's come to fulfill the scripture to bring God's kingdom, the rightly ordered relationships of God's kingdom, life with God as God in his world, in restored relationships with each other. So he reads about from Isaiah. And then later in Luke, after his death and resurrection, Jesus meets his disciples and he says, it's not just Isaiah that I fulfilled the law, the, the first chunk of the Bible, the Psalms, and that's where the wisdom books are categorised in Israel, and the prophets, they're all written about me. They all had to be fulfilled in my death and my resurrection. He's the king who fulfills the scriptures in his death and resurrection and ascension and the pouring out of the spirit. And for us to rightly understand God's word is to read it the way our king tells us to. So when we pick up the pages of the Old Testament, we haven't understood it until we see how it points us to Jesus. We haven't understood it until we see the new life that we found in him that makes us God's children and then have worked out what it means to live as followers of the king. In John's gospel, Jesus criticizes Israel, Israel's teachers because they're claiming to be wise, they're claiming to understand, but they miss that God's word, the scriptures, testify about him. It's the same idea as in Luke. And in John, we're told he comes speaking God's word, these spirit-filled, life-giving words about life restored. And then way back at the start of John's gospel, John declares that Jesus' relationship with God's word runs even deeper. See, where Proverbs 8 has this picture of God's eternal wisdom existing and that God created everything through wisdom and psalm, 
119 talks about God's eternal word. John claims that's actually about Jesus. So Jesus is the word. In Greek, he's the logos, which in both Jewish and Greek thought meant more than just words. It's how Jewish readers understood God's creative, sustaining, self-revealing word at the heart of reality that guaranteed the order that men could dig into the world and understand things. Jesus is that thing. It's very much like this. Uh, in the Greek world, the Logos was the rational force at the heart of reality, very much like wisdom. And John's saying this Logos that existed from the beginning, this eternal word, this word who was with God and was God, uh, this word became flesh. This word is here in the person of Jesus. He says all things were made through him. This Logos, this word became flesh in Jesus so if we want to know what God is like, if we want to understand why is life in the world, we should look at him. God's glory, his wisdom, his word personified. So if we want to build life with God's wisdom at its foundation, with the Bible as its foundation, if we want to follow the instruction manual, if we want to see the human who walks rightly, then we look at Jesus. And he fulfills Psalm 119 as the one who truly delights him. And meditates on God's words. And more than that, he's the one who reveals God to us so we can meditate and delight in him. To live life without God's word, to live life without the Bible, without seeing fulfilled in Jesus, without God's ultimate act of revelation, is to live life without the instruction. It's foolish. It leads to destruction, not just at the end, but along the way. It's destructive in our relationships. It's destructive in the way we live the world and are shaped by the world. It's not as good as life could be to live without the instructions. The instructions actually help. They produce right relationships with God and with each other and with the world. And you might be here today trying to figure out if God is worth listening to, if this Bible is worth picking up, it's an old book, it's a strange book. What might I have to say about life today? You might be here feeling like life is under control. You might be here feeling like life is going really badly. You might know that your furniture project, the furniture project of your life, is about to fall apart or you've got those weird extra pieces and you don't know what to do with them. The instructions are there. But why not pick them up? Test them. You could do that maybe by signing up to read the word one by one. Someone grab me or grab John, a sign up on the sheet out the front and read what John's gospel says about rightly or looking right in God's world, what it says about the word made flesh. But if you are here as someone who is trying to live God's way, let's stick with it. Stick with listening to God's words. We do live in a world that bombards us with words, with ideas about what life is, how to live, what to build your life on, a lot of different instruction manuals. Build your life on God's living and active word, more than any of these other things. Make the Bible the foundation of your wisdom pyramid. Oh, this wisdom pyramid is a, a play on, on the food pyramid. I'll, I'll post it online later today and I'll make sure that Simon can send it around. It's uh, a wisdom pyramid by a guy named Brett McCracken who fast, fast information. He took the food pyramid. He said, what would it look like to, to build a wise approach to life, a wise diet for life in the world? 
He said part of this fast food culture, this fast information culture, is we're shaped so much by the immediate, by the temporary, by the news feed on social media that flashes before our eyes as we scroll. Social media, Dr. Google, random blogs, articles online that confirm what we already think. So those are all fast and immediate and often jump. And in this fast-paced world, Bible way that's a once a week deal. We read it when we come to church, or maybe it's a daily deal for a few minutes. It's way outweighed by the amount of information we consume from that. He said we've turned wisdom on its head. And so he set about trying to describe what wise life might look like, starting with the Bible as our foundation. I don't know if you can see the next one, but it's been part of a local church, a community who live lives shaped by God's word and who teach God's word, they encourage us to reflect on it together. And then it's to engage in what we saw in week one is God's second book, the, the created world, nature, to go out and understand God from the heavens to declare his glory. And then rather than jumping online straight away, it's books that have stood the test of time. Books where people dig deeply into truth, books that have been tested by the market and have withstood the fleeting age of the internet. But he doesn't say the internet's terrible, we should never look at it, or we should never get on social media. It's just our presence on social media should be shaped by having listened to God. These can be good things in our lives that connect us to our friends and our family. But God is our Father, our Heavenly Father. We also need to be connected to Him. We should be like Israel, fixing God's words in our hearts in our lives, in our rhythms, in our world. And this isn't just about pulling random words out and trying to apply them. That can be a really bad idea. It's like jumping to section six on the instruction manual for building your furniture and not understanding the whole thing. We should read and live the Bible the way Jesus teaches us to. It's not healthy just to select random verses to flip the Bible open and read whatever's there. We're going to see lots of bad advice in the text of the Bible, we get to the book of Job and his friends. So be careful with how you read the Bible. There are good resources out there to help you read the Bible this way. As the story of Jesus, I love the Bible project. You might have heard me raving about this if you've had any conversations with me in the last few months. These guys do great work in their videos on YouTube, uh, good family-friendly eight-minute videos kind of digging into different themes in the Bible to show that unified story, but they've got a podcast that can be deeper as well. There's lots of great stuff out there in the realm of biblical theology that helps us understand how the Bible is fulfilled in Jesus, how to read it wisely and so become wise. So you rightly understood the Bible leads us to a right relationship with God and his world because it leads us to Jesus. It leads us to life in and with him so that we can meditate and dwell on God's word the way that psalmist does in Psalm 119. We can see Jesus as our lamp and our light, the one who provides God's illuminating spirit to keep us on the path to wisdom. Since we saw last week, wisdom's about being street smart as well as book smart. It's about being walked out. So to really listen to God's word means seeking to obey it in our lives and seeking to put it into practice as Jesus says, if you want to be a wise builder, follow the instructions. Don't just read the instructions, but put them into practice. I like Jesus. His brother James in the book of James says, wisdom comes from more than listening. It comes from doing what God's word says. So just listen is folly. 
And instruction manual is a crazy thing to read for bedtime reading. You don't take your IKEA instruction manual to bed with you. They're for doing it. And so is quiet. Wisdom is about applying the instruction manual to real life. So that we're equipped to do God's work in the world as his image-bearing people. In a community shaped by his word. See, our task is to be a people of the world. Not just persons of the world in our individual lives, in our one-to-one relationships, but as a community. To let the message of Christ, the story of the Bible, God's word, dwell among us richly. As we teach and admonish one another, as we do this work on Sundays together, but in our growth groups during the week, in our lives, in our conversations, in our relationships, let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. We have presence in our life together so that we can be God's presence in the world using God's word with all wisdom. See, that's our task, pointing one another to God's word as we teach and gather and sing together from the heart so that we might be a people who live like Jesus rather than like someone. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word truly is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. From the start to the finish, as it tells this magnificent story of your work in the world, your design for life, your desire that we would flourish in the world, that we would live good lives that reflect your love and your character. We would do that in our relationships as we seek to live as your image-bearing people in the world, looking after the world that you gave us with wisdom. And Lord, we confess that we like to do our own thing. We get caught up by all those voices that tell us that a wise life looks like something other than what we read in your word, what we see in Jesus. And we know that leads to destruction, leads to broken relationships and families, leads to us destroying the world that you gave us to steward, it leads ultimately to our destruction as we try to live without you, the glory of life. And so Lord, we confess this morning that we can be bad listeners. But we give you thanks for our Lord Jesus, who was a great listener, who had your word written on his heart, who modelled that in his life, and who also fulfilled your word as the saviour king that we needed to lead us back into the way of wisdom and to recreate us as your people by your spirit so that we can listen to you, so that we can be a people who dwell in your presence and have your word shaping us. And so we pray that your word might be present in our lives, that we would live life with the instruction manual in hand, and that would keep our steps on the path of wisdom. So that people might see the way we live and through that wisdom see your goodness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.